This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers, your host, your teacher for this podcast. As we work our way through Genesis, we are in the part of Genesis where we're seeing several foundational truths about how to understand life, theology, scripture, society, religion, culture, basically everything, including God and ourselves. Last week, we saw the first truth, first foundational truth from Genesis 2.18, that we are built for relationships. If uh, you didn't hear that episode and you think, well, that's not very foundational, Everybody knows that. That's not very revolutionary. You might want to go back and listen to that. This week, we're going to see the second foundational truth, which may be the most important one of all. Stick around to see what it is. And by the way, if you want to see how today's foundational truth, after you listen to this this episode, is applied to our understanding of theology, scripture, culture, so on, I highly recommend you get my book on the atonement from Amazon. It's called The Atonement of God. And in it, I present 10 areas of theology that were affected in my own life when I came to understand the truth that I'm about to present to you today. And I believe that if you begin to understand the truth I'm going to share with you today, it will also transform how you understand God, Scripture, culture, religion, and even your very own self. (laughs) So uh, go over to Amazon, search for The Atonement of God. You can learn more. Also, there's a link in the show notes at redeeminggod.com slash Genesis 219. Just click on the link there that says uh, The Atonement of God, and that'll take you right over to Amazon to get that book. I also want to make sure I uh, give thanks to Jeff Hendricks. He left a rating and review on iTunes, and he says this, Jeremy is an extraordinary scholar with a down-to-earth personality. I've learned so much from his dedicated work and extensive research. Everyone needs this podcast. Well, thank you, Jeff, for those very kind words. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing my podcast with other people. Thank you so much for the encouragement. Uh, If you wanted to leave a a rating and review on iTunes, just go over to iTunes, search for the podcast, and and, uh, you can do it uh, within iTunes there. And I'll try to read it on a future show. Those ratings and reviews help other people find this podcast so they too can be encouraged and instructed, and most of all, help their life in theology look more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the goal of uh, teaching the Bible the way that I do it here on the One Verse Podcast. With that in mind, let's get on with our study today of Genesis 2, 19. So, back in episode 19, when we looked at Genesis 126, I reviewed the seven key activities of God from Genesis 1. Uh, there's a link in the show notes if you want to go back and, and review that, listen to that episode again. But uh, let me review it for you here, just so you can remember. that The seven key activities that we see God participate in uh, from, from Genesis chapter 1 are creating, caring, communicating, seeing or naming, separating, 
redeeming and ruling. It's important to remember these seven key activities because they reveal themselves over and over again in key passages throughout the Old Testament. Not not only as the ongoing activities of God, but also, maybe even primarily, as the activities that God wants humans, you and I, to carry out in this life. Basically, by performing these seven key activities, this is how we live and function as the image and likeness of God on earth. We talked about all that back when we looked at the image of God uh, in in, uh, chapter 1, episode 19, I think it was. So, here in Genesis chapter 2, God takes these seven key activities and gives them to the man to perform. I've sort of tried to bring this out as we've gone along, but we've already seen several of these. We've seen God giving ruling and redeeming and communicating to man. Uh, We saw that um, by being made in the image of God, the the, the statue of God, remember, uh, placed in God's temple. This was Genesis 2, 7 through... 17, uh, Adam was placed in a position to rule. There's the ruling over the Garden of Eden. And then remember, he was invited to redeem by taking the boundaries of the garden and spreading it. Remember Genesis 2, 4, 5, and 6 talk about how the earth is barren and dry because there's no man to till the ground. And then when God places Adam in the garden, the idea is to take the trees, the, the green plants and the lush trees and and go out and plant them till the ground and spread the borders of the garden throughout the whole world. That would be redeeming the world, the dry and barren and dusty landscape. Then in uh, Genesis 2.17, God commands, he gives this commandment, this instruction to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the implication there, of course, is that Adam will then pass on, communicate this instruction to those who follow him, uh, and we'll, we'll find out how well he does with that with Eve in, in future episodes. Uh, last week, in episode 31, when we looked at Genesis 2.18, remember we saw that God made us for relationships, and of course relating or caring, that also is a key activity of God. And uh, just as God made Adam to live in relationship with God, so also God turns in Genesis 2.19, the verse we're looking at today, to create animals to live in relationships with Adam. And of course, Adam uh, discovers that animals aren't enough either. God wasn't enough. God himself said he wasn't enough. That's what we saw last week. And then when God creates animals, Adam says, yeah, this isn't going to do it either. <laughs> and so in Genesis 2.21-22, to God creates a woman to live in a relationship with Adam as well. So all of this is to imitate God in his relationship activity, in his caring activity. Um, Genesis 2.19, though, reveals another way that Adam, mankind, is called to imitate God. Let me read the text. It says, uh, basically, after God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air— Uh, God then brought the birds and the animals to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Okay, so again, once again, we see God inviting Adam to imitate God and take up the actions and activities of God. 
God created the birds and the animals. Now, now, creating is an activity which God gives to humans, but we create a little bit differently. God can create from nothing simply by the power of his word. We're, we're not able to do that. Um, we, we create in other ways. We're very creative people. But that's not the point here. The point here is this naming activity of God. God could have given names to all the birds and the animals, just as God gave names to everything that he created in Genesis chapter 1. Remember, you know, God created uh, separated light from darkness, and the light he called day, and the darkness he called night, and so on and so forth, all the way through through the creative week. Uh, Here, God creates the birds and the animals, and then he brings them to Adam so that Adam could imitate God in naming the creatures. Um, he, he brings them to Adam to see what he would name them. This is God, once again, inviting Adam to imitate God. This is another uh, example of, of, of Adam being invited to imitate God. And, and there's various ways to look at this. Obviously, Adam needs to see the animals. This is seen, or is, a, is an activity of God as well. God saw what he had made, and it was very good, right? We saw that over and over again. We'll see that uh, in Genesis chapter 3, Eve sees the tree, all right? That's the beginning of sort of the breakdown of the seeing activity of God. And then anyway, anyway, Adam then likely, in order to name them, would have had to separate the, Adam, uh, the animals, you know, one kind for another, species and so on. And communicate. That would be communicating as well. He had to give them names, call them names. And I don't know if God was right there, you know, making a list or something. Okay, that's called a giraffe. That's called an elephant. I don't know, but he was communicating with with God as well, I would assume. Uh, Even if not, God would be communicating to the animals, telling them their names, um, you know, naming them, and then later with Eve and, and with his sons, communicating them. Okay, so we just, again, have all of these activities of God which are passed on to Adam so that he can imitate God in carrying them out. Are you seeing a pattern here? <laughs> I've mentioned the key word over and over and over. And, and I, I've spent time, you know, reviewing this process uh, to show you that this very clear pattern is developing in Genesis. All seven activities of God from Genesis 1 are now assigned to the man and the woman. And and we've seen how they begin to carry out these activities. And um, they are to to do these in imitation of God. And this brings me really to the main point I want you to notice from Genesis 2.19. And this is the revolutionary and foundational, fundamental truth which will help you understand scripture, society, culture. Um, it's probably one of the most foundational truths. Now, the first, this is the second really foundational truth in Genesis 2. The first one last week was that we were built for relationships, made for relationships. Uh, that initially didn't sound so revolutionary, you know, but as we went on, we saw that it really was. The same is going to be true of this one. When I tell it to you, you're going to say, yeah, duh. But as we go on through the future episodes and future studies, we're going to see how revolutionary and foundational this really is. So the second foundational truth, important truth to recognize, and it's right here in Genesis 2.19, although really we've been seeing it all the way along, is this. Humans are made to imitate. You and I are created by God to 
imitate. Again, last week, we're built for relationships. Yeah, duh, we all know that. Same thing here. We're built for uh, imitation. We are made to imitate. Yeah, duh, we all know that. That's not revolutionary. That's not foundational. Okay, but just as we saw last week, that relationship, that the built for relationship turned out to be quite revolutionary because God himself says, yeah, and I'm not enough. You need animals. You need humans to relate to, flesh and blood to relate to. And ultimately, of course, God shows up in flesh and blood in the incarnation. But the same thing we see here, imitation, all right, there's something really shocking here, and I'm not going to be able to get into it all in today's episode, but I want you to remember that we were built for imitation because it becomes critically important as we work our way through the rest of Genesis 2, and then especially, especially as we get into Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, and you'll see this pop up over and over and over again in the rest of Scripture. In fact, not just in Scripture. Imitation is probably the most foundational truth of human history. Uh, Imitation is central to uh, psychology and, and society and culture and religion. You don't need to see this in Scripture. Psychologists and historians and archaeologists and sociologists, they all know this. I mean, even animals imitate. And monkey see, monkey do, right? That's a saying we, we, we hear people say from time to time. But the truth is, most people don't really grasp or understand how deep the rabbit hole goes when it comes to imitation. Um, Look, psychologists, uh, sociologists, philosophers, many others have noted that imitation is the most basic human mechanism for learning. Uh, it's one of the main ways we learn as we grow up. You know, Children, babies, infants, they don't really know much, but everything they learn, they learn by imitation. It's, um, children learn to walk and, and function and talk because of, you know, they, they, they watch and observe and imitate their parents. Uh, children learn what is acceptable behavior in society, how to, how to behave in society. They go to school. You know, we, we talk about peer pressure. Well, there's a positive form of peer pressure by learning what is proper behavior. They imitate each other. They imitate teachers. Um, imitation behavior begins through the teen years, all the way throughout life. <laughs> Most popular culture is, is based on imitation, Fashion and fads would go nowhere without imitation. Just think about it. Uh, you know, you see some guy wearing this pair of shoes, and if you are not built on imitation, there would be no desire in you to have those same pair of shoes for whatever reason that you want his shoes and not somebody else's. Okay, again, there's lots of psychology involved there, but uh, that's that's fads and fashion. Even the economy The entire economy is built on imitation. Uh, New homes, new cars, new clothes. They are all sold and bought because we imitate others who have them. You know, the saying is we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. We see what our neighbors have, their new car, their new house, their new boat, their new vacation, their new clothes, whatever it is. And we want it. We imitate it. In fact, neurologists have done studies on this recently, and uh, they have discovered that imitation is so deeply ingrained within us that when we simply observe someone else performing a certain action, 
The neurons that fire in our brains as we observe them are the exact same neurons that fire when we perform the action itself. All right? So from a neuron perspective, when you perform an action, the same neurons fire as when you observe someone else performing the action. And it's because of this, they're called mirror neurons. It's, 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 it's because of this imitation, this imitative ability that God created us with. Now, uh, God, God did give imitation to all of his creatures. That's why we say, monkey see, monkey do. But the truth is, is many animals are governed by instinct. And humans do have instinct, but our instincts are much weaker in our imitation, our imitative Our mimesis, as some call it, is much stronger than in the animal kingdom. And it is because of this, that this this imitation, that we have tools in agriculture, in language, in memory, in technology, science, religion, literature, drama, visual arts. All right, this is what sets us apart from the animals. Uh, We're not bound to our, you know, narrow, narrow set of instinctual behaviors. We're free to explore. Uh, free to learn from experience, to benefit from shared knowledge that can be passed down from generation to generation. Uh, Without the ability to imitate, there would be no such thing as human culture. There wouldn't be humankind. We would not be separate from the animals at all. And so imitation is a very, very good thing. We'll be seeing a lot of that. We've seen a lot of that so far. God made us to imitate him. Imitate is how, imitation is how everything happens and occurs in life, all right? But the thing we're going to see moving forward, especially beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and then every verse going forward from there on out, is that imitation has a dark side. There is great and grave danger in imitation. And the danger is this. The danger in imitation is when we try to overstep our boundaries and imitate something that we should not. Like what? Well, a very basic example, often brought up by psychologists, sociologists, philosophers, and so on, is uh, something we've all seen happen. You take two children and you put them in a room filled with toys. There's hundreds of toys in there, plenty for both of them to play with, If they want to. But we all know what will happen. You put these two children in the room with hundreds of different toys. And it will usually not be too long before the two children are what? Fighting over one toy. All right. This is even true if there are identical toys. You know, you might have 50 sets of toys. So let's say there's two identical toys in the room. But Even then, it's very likely that it won't be long before the two children are fighting over one one of the toys, even though there's another identical toy in the room. Why does this happen? The answer is imitation. And it's just, it seems to start sort of random. One child picks up a toy, and the other child sees the first child pick up that toy, and immediately something clicks in their brain. It's this thing. You see the other child do it, and the same neurons fire. And something in their brain says, that child just picked up my toy. 
And maybe in their own mind, they thought that they were headed over to that toy to play with it. But the other child saw that they were headed over to play with that toy and so got to it first and picked it up. Okay, we don't really know. I mean, psychology, we can talk about it and how it all works. But the bottom line is the second child then somehow in their mind says, I want that toy because they have it or I saw it first and they got it or because they have it, I I should I am the one who should have it for whatever reason. There's different reasons, just different ways we justify it in our mind. But whatever the reasoning is, the second child goes over and tries to take the toy from the first child. Or maybe the first child puts it down and then the second child goes over and tries to grab it. Okay, there's a wide variety of ways it happens. But ultimately, eventually, what ends up happening is the two children end up fighting over that one toy. Okay, and the more they fight, the more uh, the, the, the rivalry between them grows and eventually one of them is going to end up biting or hitting the other child. Okay. It turns into violence. All right. Um, this is imitation and the way it gets out of control. We'll be talking about this more in, in future episodes, especially when we get into Genesis chapter four with Cain and Abel. But, um, This is when imitation exceeds its boundaries. We are made to imitate, but there are limits on imitation. Now, that's that's the scenario that we often see happen with children in nurseries and things like that, and playrooms, toy rooms. But uh, it happens in adults, too. It becomes a lot more complex with adults, uh, you know, as, as adults get older, as humans get older. But that same sort of situation replays over and over and over in society and culture and religion and in our interpersonal relationships, all right, around the world every day. Again, we'll be seeing this. The bottom line is to recognize that imitation is good and we were made to imitate. But imitation becomes bad when it leads to that rivalry and violence between humans as it so often does. It becomes bad. Imitation becomes bad when we overstep the boundaries of imitation and seek to imitate that which should not be imitated. And if you're paying attention, we've already seen something in Genesis 2 that should not be imitated. Remember, we saw these seven key activities of God that should be imitated, and God instructs and provides and gives these activities to the humans, to Adam, to imitate also. But we've been seeing, we've saw one thing so far in Genesis 2.17, an activity of God that God reserves for himself, which he forbids us to imitate him. And what was that? That was this knowledge of good and evil. Remember, we talked about that in Genesis 2.17. God wants us to imitate him in every way that we can, but except for that one area of deciding, judging between good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents an area that we are not to imitate God in. Uh, We we talked about that when we looked at those verses. The tree represents judgment. This this, this attempt to discern, decide, judge between good and evil. And God says, leave all such judgment up to me. You remember why? It's because God alone knows everything. He alone is all-knowing, omniscient. 
God knows, and, and the truth is, that the only way to make accurate judgments between right and wrong, good and evil, is to know everything about everything. And since that is impossible for human beings, God says, let me make these judgments. Leave these judgments up to me. I will make the right judgments between good and evil and tell you what is good and what is wrong, what is bad, and you can follow me and obey me. Don't you try to take these judgments upon yourself. And of course, we're going to see in Genesis 3 how Adam and Eve, even though they're given these seven activities of God to imitate, they try to imitate God in the one area that he told them not to imitate him. And then we will see how that overstepping of their boundary has led to every problem in society and culture and relationships from that time until now. It's really foundational. We're to imitate God in every other way, in, in, in creating and caring and redeeming and communicating. Those seven activities that we, we began this episode with and we've seen in, in previous episodes. But we are to abstain from imitating God in this one area of judging between right and wrong, good and evil. We are to let God alone make those decisions and then simply trust what he says. When we start to make decisions between right and wrong, good and evil, we will nearly always make wrong decisions because we are not omniscient. We don't know everything about everything. Now again, maybe this idea isn't so new or radical or revolutionary to you, but I I do want you to keep it in mind as we continue to work our way through the biblical text, especially Genesis 3 and 4, because we will see that Imitation and and the desire that imitation brings, it pops up all over the Bible. And it shows that while imitation is good and godly, it must be kept within its proper boundaries, lest bad things, horrible things, result. Uh, Throughout Scripture, you can see this. When imitation exceeds its boundaries, bad things happen. War and violence and bloodshed and blame. They all stem from imitation exceeding its boundaries. We'll see this in Genesis 3, Genesis 4. Uh, We're going to see that imitation escaping, exceeding its boundaries, is the root cause behind nearly all evil and violence in the world. It's revealed over and over again in Scripture and history as the root cause of rivalry, violence, murder, bloodshed, and war. That's what we're going to see in future episodes. For now, I just want you to begin noticing how much you imitate. This week, sort of try as you go about your daily routine, try to notice how much of your day is guided by imitation. Notice as you watch TV, the commercials, they're all 100% based on imitation. As you're driving on your work, uh, to work in your commute, notice the billboards, it's imitation. Um, even how you are encouraged to work and participate, and, and become involved with other relationships. A lot of it is based on imitation. Notice how you interact with people, how they react to you. Notice how what you say, and what you watch, what you do, what music you listen to, what you eat, what you wear, what kind of clothes you wear. It's all based on the people around you, the people you expect to see, the people you, you will be interacting with, and how you are 
invited to imitate. It's not necessarily bad. Imitation is a key element of all human existence and behavior. Genesis is going to show us the bad side and the good side of imitation. But before we see it, I just want you to start seeing it in your own life as well and recognize imitation for the power that it has in our lives for both good and evil. If you want to learn a bit more about imitation in human society and culture, I do write about it in Appendix 1 of my book, The Atonement of God. Uh, The the appendix, really, uh, the Appendix 1 is really about how to understand the wrath of God in Scripture. If you ever struggled with the wrath of God, I think that appendix in my book will really help you. But as part of discussing the wrath of God in Scripture, it's it's not God's anger, by the way. He's not wanting to squash us like a bug. Um, Understanding imitation is really going to help you understand the wrath of God. I talk about it in my book. There's a section there about imitation. Um, Mimetic desire helps shed light on what's going on in the Bible when it talks about the wrath of God. Anyway, that's in my book, The Atonement of God. You can get it on Amazon to learn more. Also, I think as of this week, the book is also available in Barnes & Noble, uh, Kobo, if you have those, Google Play. I'm going to try and get it into Apple iTunes bookstore in the week or next week or so. Uh, The paperback, though, if you prefer paperbacks like I do, that is only available on Amazon. Go over to Amazon, search for The Atonement of God, and it should come up at number one of your listing. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. And I look forward to sharing more with you next time when we pick back up with Genesis 2.20 and the animals, the creation of the animals and Adam relating to them. Until then, I hope that what you've learned today about imitation will cause your life and theology to look more like Jesus Christ as you and I imitate him.